Hello and welcome to Alchemy Radio, where the only thing we ask of you is that you keep an open mind. Today's first guest is Gerald Salenti. Gerald was born in the Bronx in New York and he had early political experience running a mayoral campaign in Yonkers, New York and served as executive assistant to the Secretary of the New York State Senate, which Salenti called the worst job he ever had. From 1973 to 1979, Salenti travelled between Chicago and Washington, D.C. as a government affairs specialist. In 1980, Salenti founded the Trends Research Institute, at first called the Socioeconomic Research Institute of America, now located in Kingston, New York, publisher of the Trends Journal, which forecasts and analyzes business, socioeconomic, political and other trends. Salenti has described himself as a political atheist and citizen of the world. Gerald, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, John. Fantastic to have you on the show. Really excited about the chat we're going to have. And I suppose let's get straight to the thick of the action. One thing I would like to talk to you about is Europe. What the hell is going on, Gerald, at the moment in Europe? I mean, you've been predicting trends for so long and they seem to be so accurate. What's happening? Well, it's the same thing that's happening in the United States, same thing that's happening in China, and that's a lot of cheap money flowed into the markets, created bubbles. Now the bubbles have burst, and they're trying to fix them. And the way they try to fix them is they have this white shoe boy language. Over there, they call it austerity measures. Over here, we call it too big to fails. So what they do is they steal the people's money, and they give it to the banks, because the banks made bad bets. And hey, banks can't make bad bets because if banks make bad bets and they start losing money and have to close down, then the whole world ends. That's the fairy tale. So it doesn't end. Nothing happens. These are a bunch of money junkies that don't like losing. They're gamblers. They're gamblers with a bad attitude. So they want their money. I want my money. I made a bad bet. Screw you. I'm going to steal from you what you have. But we'll put a name on it. As I said, austerity measures. That means we'll cut your pensions, raise taxes, increase your retirement age to after you die, and anything else we could squeeze out of you, raise that taxes. We'll make up new things like water taxes. We'll make up anything we can to squeeze every penny out of you. So that's what's going on, and it's the same thing worldwide. In the United States, they call it too big to fail. Too big to fail? <laughs> Who made that one up? This is supposed to be the, you know, the thoroughbred of, of uh, capitalism. In capitalism, you rise and fall on your own merits. Hey, wait a minute. Not us. Oh, you know who we are? We're the bankers. There's a picture on one of our Spring Trends journals, a cover. And it shows Jesus Christ beating the money changers out of the temple. Mm -hmm. But the money changers are now Goldman Sachs gang, Dexia, uh, uh, Bankia, and all these guys dressed up in those, you know, with those blue and white ties on running out. Think about it, John. The only time that the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, becomes violent, violent, is when he picks up a whip to drive the money changers out of the temple. Hey, wonder why? 
And the same thing is going on now. It's the money changers. There is a new world order. It's the banking order. It's being centralized. I mentioned China. China right now, they're dumping stimulus in there. They have an, the, the housing bubble has collapsed, the building bubble. They're rate lowering interest rates. They're trying everything they can to keep this thing afloat. So the entire global economy is under collapse. As a matter of fact, the IMF, if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's the International Mafia Federation. What they've done now is they've come out with a report just a few days ago saying how bad things are. Oh, son of a gun, blow me over. Would have never known. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah, no kidding. There's no solving it. The only way they're solving it is they're going to take us to war. That's the way they do it all the time. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about, Gerald, because it does seem like the drums of war are beating with regard to the Middle East, Iran, Israel, you've the US, you've China and Russia, and they all seem to be starting to kind of consolidate and take sides. And I suppose when you look at the economic situation globally, oil, etc., it all comes down to one thing, power and control. And is there any way that we're not going to face massive war in the Middle East the way things are right now? I mean, I see echoes of what happened before, uh, for example, look at Weimar Germany and how Hitler came to power and what happened after that. I mean, is, is history repeating itself here? You don't need Hitler to come to power. You had Bush and Cheney and Blair. I mean, you want to talk about warmongers. How about the beauties that they start? Mm-hmm. You got them going on now. How about that lovely Nobel Peace Prize winner, Obama? You know, how about that one? Starting a war with that little chicken hawk over there, Cameron, and Sarkozy, who's gone now, against Libya. What did Libya do? I'll tell you what Libya did. They were sitting on some of those most precious sweet crude oil on the planet. What do you think they went into Iraq for? Because of their broccoli crop? You think they care if Iraq wasn't sitting on the world's second largest oil reserves? So, you know, it's just different, but it's all the same. Mm. It's about money. You left the money out of the power. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's about all it is. These are psychopaths. And all they are are front men for the, for the, for the, uh, for the mafia. And, and the mafia are the money men, the military-industrial complex, you know, on and on. Look what's going on, talking about uh, atrocities. Look what they've done to Iran. They've committed war against Iran. They just call it a different name. We'll call it sanctions. We'll, we'll, we'll freeze them out. They can't sell or buy anything, basically. And so what does that do? What did Iran do? Oh, Iran might get a nuclear bomb, son of a gun. Hey, how many does the U.S. have? About 10,000. France, India, Pakistan. Who else? China, Russia. Oh, North Korea. Oh, how about Israel? Mm-hmm. Well, there we hey, go. wait a minute. We're not allowed to talk about Israel's 400 alleged nuclear bombs. I mean, who's kidding whom? You know, so what is it? It's, um, you think about it. Why do they hate Iran? Because in 1953, the democratically elected government of Iran was overthrown, Mossadegh government, because he had the nerve to nationalize their oil fields. That's right. Threw out BP, which was then Anglo-Iranian, and Standard Oil, which is now ExxonMobil. And so they overthrew the government, put in the dictator, the Shah. I mean, that's all this is about. It's about oil. You think anybody care about... They care as much about Iran as they care about uh, uh, Somalia, if it didn't weren't sitting on all that oil. That's all this is about. 
And we're at the coalface of it here in Ireland with regard to economic meltdown, but you hear the constant cry of the media and politicians that, oh, things are going to get better and you can always replace us because it's that great word, a democracy. But, I mean, you've spoken in, in your most recent journal about Einstein's theory of relative insanity, whereby definition nearly of insanity is that people do the same thing over and over again and they expect different results. So... Politicians voting, Gerald, talk to me about that. It's pointless, is it? It's pointless. It's like voting for the Gambinos or the Bananos, the Democrats or the Republicans, whatever names of your parties there. You know, just a little background. I began my career many years ago running political campaigns in Westchester County in New York. Mm. It's the richest county in the United States. In those days, back in the 70s, quite affluent. And then I was the assistant to the secretary of the New York State Senate. And I was also down in D.C. for several years as a government affairs specialist. And one of our chief writers in the Trends Journal is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, the former assistant treasury secretary under Ronald Reagan. So we're guys that know what it looks like. You know these guys are that call themselves senators or prime ministers or chancellors or congressmen or yeah. whatever they want to... These are the same people you hated in high school that were the brown nosers, suck-ups, glad-handers, that wanted to be class president or went to college head of the student council. That's all they are. These guys are born on, you know, Easy Street, and, and they try to make it as though, you know, they're Main Street cats. You know, their daddy knew this, or their father was that. And it is all this is. It's a club. It's Harvard, Princeton, Yale, bullets, bombs, and banks. So, to me, I'm not voting for a lesser of two evils. Mm. You know, and, and, and I, I, I do not go out with lesser of two evils. I don't associate them. I don't do business with them. Why would I, why would I vote for one, lesser or greater? It's evil. And when you vote for them, the insanity is to expect different results, knowing that you're putting in the same power-hungry losers, and that, that destroy your nation. What is it in the human spirit that allows people to do this? And not only do they do it, they wait online and clap and applaud, bow down and suck up, can't wait to get an autograph, guy put the arm around you, hey, kiss my baby, hey, how about kissing this? Well, exactly, and we see the U.S. Uh, gearing up for another presidential election. It seems over here in Europe, the only thing we hear about the U.S. is maybe lip service to the latest war or blanket coverage of the U.S. presidential election. So you've got Romney, you've got Obama, and they are two sides of the same coin. There's no doubt about that, surely. Oh, they are, precisely. I mean, you know, one, they, just, they just perform differently. You know, one tap dance is better than the other. It's the presidential reality show. By their deeds, you shall know them. I just went through a bunch of Obama stuff. I could give you more. Here's some more. How about he signed in New Year's Eve the National Defense Authorization Act? That's right, that great liberal. I don't know who you are. You know that? They could say, they, I could right now, the doors could come bashing down on my building, and I, they could say, I, I'm, doing, I am, I'm in contact with a terrorist. That's right. How do I know you're not a terrorist? They say they are. What proof do I need? None. You know why, John? Because I have no charges against me. I don't, they don't need any. I don't get a lawyer. I don't get a judge. I don't get a jury. I don't get a trial. John Gibbons is a terrorist. What do you mean? What are you talking about? No, he's a terrorist. You had association with a terrorist. Jack, you're dead. 
That's right. That's the National Defense Authorization Act that Obama signed. And also, you keep going down the list. He's, he wasn't going to increase those, keep those Bush tax cuts going. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, he was going to reverse the Patriot Act that robs our constitutional rights. Nope, he upped it. Oh, I got another one for you. How about sending some more troops over into Afghanistan to kill other people and to get killed? There's a real liberal for you. No, it's the same deal. It's, it's the same guys. It's, uh, you know, it's, as I said, the Gambinos or the Bananos. And, he's, and people better grow up. You don't have a representative form of government. They don't represent you. They represent the people that give them money. That's it. End of story. And even that point is salient because it's quite transparent. All you have to do is look at the published lists of donators to these presidential campaigns, and that tells the story in itself. Exactly. But again, people are blinded. They believe in their ideology. And as I said, I'm a political atheist. I don't believe in anybody's political religion. You know, give me a break, man. Yeah. You know, cool it out. You know, don't tell me I have to believe in your jive. And I certainly don't bow to political gods. And I won't vote for one. And I, I do believe in God. And the God that I believe in, I believe, would call it a sin if I cast my vote for an evil, lesser or greater. So, to a solution, Gerald... What are people meant to do? Because I can hear people shouting at their, uh, their radios or their computers or whatever right now. And they're saying, right, well, we're doomed. We're looking down the abyss. What are we meant to do if we can't trust politicians? Um, so have, have you any proposed solutions so that people can empower themselves as opposed to relying on the structures that are already in place that we know are actually enslaving us? Yes. Send thirty nine ninety five to solutions. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Direct democracy is one of them, and mm. you have a movement going on there in Ireland. That's right. That's pushing for it. That's that's to me is the the prime one, uh, not the prime one. One of the big ones. Uh, Switzerland does it. You know, there's seven million people. It doesn't, or eleven million. It doesn't make a difference how many people there. You vote on issues. You want to go to war? Let's vote. You want to vote to uh, put a tax on your water bill? Let's vote on it. You want to vote to, to put more VAT taxes? Let's vote on it. I don't need some little slimy politician to tell me what I should do, just to get it straight. So well, let's let us vote. Let the people vote. You want to call it a democracy? Let's call it a democracy. Let the people vote. If we could bank online, we could vote online. That's right. You move trillions of dollars worth of dough around the world by the seconds. Certainly, we could have a pretty good system to keep our votes secure. And it'd be all transparent. And with all the, you know, the techno geeks out there, be sure it's, it's, it's a, a legitimate system, unlike the illegitimate systems they have now. Number two, and this is the big one, everybody has to look within themselves. Am I the best person that I can be? Have I used the gifts that only I have, the unique gifts, to bring them to higher levels and keep rising to higher levels? Uh, you hear the sirens? I can. They're I guess, coming I guess, for you. They're coming I, for I you guess, already. I guess, I guess you are that terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, uh, you have to bring yourself, and, and if you bring yourself to higher levels of, in my belief, and again, my motto taught to be by my dear father, may his soul rest in peace, is think for yourself. I don't tell anybody what to believe. This is the way I see it. So the way I see it is that when you have courage and dignity and respect and integrity and passion, you don't take anybody's crap. 
because you know who you are and you keep trying to be better at who you are. Mm-hmm. And so you don't succumb to these little weasels that are called politicians. And you demand that they rise to a higher level as well. We've all sunk into a lower one, from the junk we eat to the junk we listen to, to the junk we read, to the junk we watch. Junk in, junk out. So I believe there's time for a renaissance. It was one before it happened following the Black Plague. People realized that what they were doing on, you know, to themselves was destructive, and the people that survived were the ones who were living the higher life. They were out in monasteries and convents, you know, eating clean, living cleaner lives. And I'm not, I'm not a monastery or convent guy. I want to make that really clear. <laughs> you know? But what I meant is they got away from the filth and the slime of the cities and the destruction around them. And they brought a higher level. They looked back and they used to say at the height of the Renaissance, Ali Romana e alla antica in, in, uh, in Italy, in Florence, to describe the quality of their work. And look at the work we put out now. Look at the crap. They call McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. They call that food and coffee. It's crap. You know, so the thing is, support your local. Do as much as you can locally. Buy local, be local, build your community, but it starts with the individual. You know, there's that wonderful Hindu saying, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. Anybody that's practiced at anything knows what I'm talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. to get good at anything, you've got to practice every day, all the time. And my, my good, my, a good friend of mine, Sonny Rollins, famous saxophone player, he's in his 80s, greatest living saxophone player. And... Um, from the old school. He practices every day. I believe that when the people are ready, the leaders will appear. But they have to practice. And the leader's not ready to show up because the people aren't, wouldn't know if it was there. So that's what I believe the change could come from. And I have to say, I've, I fully subscribe to that view. I think it really is about the power of the individual and we have that within us. As long as we're willing to actually make that move and stop granting our power to the powers that be, because we are the ones who should be in control of our own destinies, be it financial, be it in terms of food, be it in terms of what we watch or listen to, to use your examples. Of course. And again, you know, I mean, Ireland, I mean, Catholic Ireland, my God. I mean, you know, the teachings of Jesus. I mean, what, what could be more than, you know, closer than that? I mean, wouldn't Christ want you to be the best that you can be? Wouldn't that, wasn't that as what, what Catholicism is really about and the foundation of it? is to live to the highest level of the potential of the human being. Not to follow. Not in the catechism, man. It ain't part of the deal. Follow your leader. Hey, follow this. What are you kidding? I wouldn't follow these cats across the street. You want to talk to me, they could come over here. We could have a conversation. You know? I'm not following. Leader? Lead what? Lead you into destruction. You come into this world alone and you leave it alone. And to me, you know, speaking only for myself, I want to leave it on a high note, knowing I'm the person who I said I was and did what I believed I would do. So, Gerald, do you think that in the short term and medium term that the outlook is good or is it bad? Because we've spoken about the solutions. Do you think that people are ready to actually act on that yet? It's up to the individual. I can't speak for other people. You know, a renaissance could happen in a blink of an eye. Mm. It could be an awakening. Now, when enough people awake internally, it all changes. When enough people change, the society changes. So, of course, you know, something has to happen quickly. 
And, um, you know, it's a time to me for radical solutions. And I don't mean radical in a negative way. I mean radical in the terms that I was in an earthquake in Chile, 8.8 earthquake, the worst earthquake on record. Back in 2010, I was on the 14th floor of the Crown Plaza Hotel. Mm. As soon as I first felt the first rattling, as was my buddy. I was out of bed, man. And he said to me, did you feel that? I said, yeah. yeah. He goes, yeah. He said, it was just a, you know, a little... Uh, um, you know, tremor. It's over now. And I hate people telling me what is, you know. Yeah. I just started, the place started letting loose for seconds later. And uh, I ran down 14 flights of stairs best I could. You know, it was the building swaying and things breaking and falling. And, and I kept thinking as I'm running down the stairs, what's going to happen is all these other people from 14 flights below start coming out. How am I going to get around them? I want to get out of here. Mm. I went down 14 flights of stairs. There was not one person in front of me. Incredible. Everybody froze. Incredible. So the point being is that there's time for moderate decisions and there's time for, to act in a critical situation. And there's a critical situation. It doesn't take moderation. It takes a, a reverse course, changing course. We can see the danger in front of us and we're heading to it. Being a trend forecaster is like being in the catbird seat you know, in a ship, you're looking ahead, and you see it in front of you, and you say, we have to change course. And that's the way we see it. So right now, we think it's time for dramatic shifts to take place in order to save the future. Gerald Salenti, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll see you in Dublin on the 6th of November in the Gibson Hotel at the Point Village in Dublin 1 beside the O2. Doors are at 6.30pm. The event kicks off at 7 o'clock with an introduction from Aidan Killian, one of Ireland's hottest comedians at the moment, and Stefan Kramer, who will be talking about why buy gold and gold price manipulation. And, of course, yourself then speaking about latest trends, banking scams and direct democracy. That's Dublin, November the 6th, in association with One World Chronicle and Celtic Gold. For more details on the event, people can log on to oneworldchronicle.com. Thank you very much for joining me on Alchemy Radio. I have the power, you have the power, we have the power. Gerald Salenti, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you very much, John. Bye-bye now. Alchemy Radio. You get up and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business. And I have chosen you to preach this evangel. For all my free market healthcare robbing, stock stealing, retirement fund fucking with niggas. Fuck you little credit card scam and jewelry stealing, crack selling, liquor store robbing motherfuckers. <laughs> Shout to the homies, Carnegie, OG, Willie Randolph Hearst, Baruch, Rockefeller, the real Rockefeller, my main bitch Leona, bought a little Louis XIII, Scott Rothstein, Jack Abramoff, hold your head, my yeah. rock child niggas, let's uh, get this money, I 
Last on my day, pepper in America overseas Pension for the workers, nigga please Embezzlement, etiquette, private settlement I'm better with confederate rhetoric From my mansion in Connecticut Foreclosure, they close out the tenement I twist words like a speech impediment I hope you got good credit, bitch If not, better get a new job with benefits While I play golf with niggas and get cheddar with New money buys brand new carrots My old money bunch of great grandparents You got grills in your mouth, I ain't mad at ya I own every gold mine in South Africa Thanks baby, you made me a billion Plus I own a building But each one of my children's children That's the shit Smart coke in the whip, miss USA sucking my dick Yeah, what? Fuck the law, cause real jailers for suckers I go to country club prison, you dumb motherfuckers I am the one percent Fucking bitches, yeah You know my CEO, corporate steez Please, overthrow governments overseas In a breeze, politicians in my pockets For a few hundred G's So if I'm ever in court My assets are never freeze I got a job and a house and a bank account When I'm out, I doubt that's something you could say And if not, then a fake death like Kenneth Lay Make money every day the world burns on its access Why y'all struggling to pay taxes? I'm getting my money the fastest Memos and faxes, shredded up documents Slush funds through the corrupt continents but they don't want me indicted Cause they don't want my dirty laundry aired when I fight it Don't get my lawyers excited Cause what good is the law if you can't rewrite it I got CIA traders, dictators So fuck y'all whistleblowers and haters <laughs> Shit I'll invest money from Al-Qaeda In the bank, 9-11 widows go too late to Capitalism's who I pray to Fuck the state of the world Money talks, so what the fuck I need to say to you, girl I don't pay them to fuck I pay them to leave you know my CEO, corporate steez, greed I treat countries like the IMF Down on your knees Real gangsters run the world Fuck what you believe I cut down the forest While y'all niggas burning some trees I get your family murdered For a couple of G's Cause your working class money Ain't fucking with me You think rappers are rich Cause the songs you heard My labels make the money And haven't rapped the fucking word Ocean coasting with the sails out Hey America, thanks for the bailouts I made off at the bank on Brogiano Got a waste, got free like El Vaticano Activist, active bitch, get mad at me Cause I'm a tax-free charity 80% to the staff and company And 20% to the homeless and hungry The country gotta pay the Fed Reserve Kick back to the banksters, haven't you learned? You protest cops and patrols on the street But I bought city hall, so I own the police Email, Facebook, and the shit you tweet All the phone companies, so I heard you speaking My suggestion is no correction No election sex with no affection, no invention to benefit the world a man will exist till I got the money in my hand World Bank, interest rate, damn rape on a spot But I'm a gangster, you gon' take my money like it or not, nigga I got your country in my pocket, motherfucker You know my CEO makes Sonic Steve's cheese Only little people pay all these taxes and fees Since you were born, we controlled what you watch and you read And pretty soon I'm gonna own the fucking air that you And our second guest today on Alchemy Radio is Barry Fitzgerald from Ireland. Barry is the author of Building Cities of Gold, in which he examines society and corporatocracy and offers some solutions for how we might break free from some of the major problems that we are currently experiencing in Ireland and globally. 
Barry has also recently produced a video called From Tyranny to Freedom, which is available on YouTube. It's a half-hour video which looks at currency and the financial control system and again offers real-life tangible solutions as to how we might proceed in a world without the ties of our current monetary system. So, hey Barry, how are you? Not too bad, John. It's great to be here. I'm delighted to be invited on to get the chance to speak about this video and book. So thanks very much for that. You're most welcome. So tell us a little bit about your background and where you came from. I trained as an engineer, an electrical engineer in Cork. I'm from Cork and went from there to work in the multinationals in Dublin, uh, Hewlett Packard, Intel, etc., and, you know, I suppose at a young age, 22 or 23, first year into a career, I kind of suddenly realized that I didn't really, this corporate lark didn't really suit at all, actually. And I didn't want to go up this path. Um, you know, it was a good job making nice money at the time. I suppose you're young and, you know, it should be, the you know, the world is your oyster and go for it. But yeah. it just didn't feel right, you know, and. I suppose that kind of put me on a journey then of kind of questioning, well, what is right for you and uh, what do you want to do? And I suppose a lot of people who ask that question day one <laughs> don't realize the kind of worms they're opening and, you know, 10 years can pass and you're still uh, figuring all that out. And I suppose that's basically what happened, uh, you know, literally 10 years passed, a lot of questioning, a lot of journeying, a lot of um, trying to figure out, I suppose. I, I, I suppose I always had this yearning to, uh, do something that mattered. No, not something that mattered in the sense of uh, being famous, but something that mattered to me. Yeah. And uh, that was it. You know, what? Why am I here? And what am I supposed to do? And will I get there? And just constantly pushing and pushing for that. And I suppose, <laughs> in a way, uh, you push too hard and you don't. You forget to enjoy life as it's happening. But but anyway, that was it. That, that uh, I I I went on that journey, and that brought me up. I suppose starting from ninety six, ninety seven, and that brought me up to. Uh, the middle of the decade just gone there, maybe 2004, 2005, around which time I got married, actually. And um, my wife, Orla, and uh, myself, we both actually uh, left um, our careers in Dublin at the same time in 2006, and we moved back to Cork. So we both gave up everything. She had um, three very successful ballet schools, and I was still working. I suppose I didn't have too much to give up. It was, <laughs> it was a job in one of these multinationals, and I was, <laughs> I was going nowhere fast. I was literally just putting in time. But at that stage, I got to the point where it was actually making me, I guess, almost uh, physically sick to put in the nine-to-five. You know, it was it wasn't even the job; it was more the having to sit uh, for forty hours a week, um, regardless of workload. You know, if I did my work in two days, I wasn't allowed to go home. Yeah. You know, might, might sound naive to say that, but to my mind, I'm like, why not? <laughs> Which you know, I was a very effective worker, and you know, I could do everything in two days. So why can't I leave? You know. But anyway, that that was it. I got to that point, and we we moved to Cork. We built a house in the countryside, and I guess since then we both have tried to, you know, finally put into practice everything we were uh, trying to do. You know, we actually tried to make it a physical reality. And I guess obviously, if I if I got married along the way, the Orla was, you know, uh, in in step with a lot of my visions for the world. And thankfully, you know, um, thankfully for that, because you know, uh, 
that that is fantastic to have that support. But um, I guess then from moving to Cork, a lot of this started to come from the internal to the external, where I started saying, well, okay, I have done this work on myself. You know, I kind of know what I want out of life. I, I know where I'm going, but but how does that fit in with the wider community and the wider world outside and um you know what if i find what i want to do and that's great but is that it uh, does it impact other people do i need other people's support um and you can see where this is going i suddenly started to realize that uh, well hang on a minute really me being happy on my own um is not necessarily just a good thing on its own either maybe 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 everyone else is thinking like this too but maybe they weren't forced into the journey you were and maybe they would like to you know explore some of these options and and you know maybe other people while they may seem happy in their careers maybe they don't want to be there you know and it's it's set off a whole other train chain of events and i suppose throughout all this there was a love of nature and a love of the land and walking and connection and you know place sense of place i, I guess most people from ireland would have that um you know that this immense love of the land and and the you know the the situation the place where you live should be able to meet your needs uh, yeah. you know i um, i suppose the, the saying for me is from cradle to grave you know we should have security where we are from cradle to grave you know and a sense of purpose where we are but ultimately security and i, I looked around and i suppose if i saw that nearly everybody didn't have that sense of security mm-hmm. And, you know, especially through those boom years that then, you know, maybe that's why a lot of those people were trying to amass so much, maybe buying the four and five houses. And, you know, in nearly all cases, it was to get this mythical sense of security for the future, you know, that uh, their society was very, very harsh and it didn't provide the security. So I suppose now we're getting to the point where an awful lot of strands were coming together and suddenly uh, the... I guess, I don't know, uh, just uh, literally a voice one day I heard. Well, not I didn't hear a voice, but a, a strong sense in my head. I just said, you know, you're here to help build cities of gold. Mm. And that stuck with me uh, as a metaphor then because it was like it's not cities of gold where we're all rich. It's cities of gold where everyone has that sense of security, where everyone has that sense of purpose. And no matter what age you are, um, you know that there is a place for you and uh, the future can be good, the future can be bright. Then that led me on to, okay, the book The book became something that I would have never thought I would have written a book. I just sat down one day, uh, a contract, I, I guess since I moved to Cork, I've been working for myself as an engineer mm-hmm. and doing that, uh, I was finally free of the clock and... Um, uh, you know, I kind of went from contract to contract, but there might be a few weeks lull in between those contracts, for example. And that's exactly what happened to me in the summer of 2009, where literally a contract ended and there was none on the horizon. And I just sat down one day and started writing. And I guess four or five weeks later, I had what was the, the bare books of, of, or the bare bones of that book. And I tried to get it published then uh, in Ireland. And obviously, as most people would know, that's a near impossibility to get a book published. So yeah. um, I found this amazing little um, uh, new press in Maine, in America, uh, called All Things That Ma- Sorry, All Things That Matter Press. Okay. And uh, I suppose a bit like you with your radio station here, you know, it's it's very hard to break into, uh, you know, having a radio station, and you know, but people are moving to the internet as a result, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a mobile world, and that's exactly what this company did. You know, they uh, husband and wife team they set up a um, uh, 
they set up a, a, a press basically from their own house. You know, they they had worked in the publishing industry, etc., and written books themselves, and they just started publishing people, and you know, got all the deals going with Amazon and all of that. So, you know, they offered me that they would publish my book, and it was great. And uh, they worked with me on editing it, and we put it together, um, and it was published in August two thousand and ten. Now, the book dealt with um, a lot of areas of, you know, how can we move from the world of scarcity and lack into one that does provide that nurture and security and, and I suppose uh, almost spiritual abundance from, from cradle to grave, you know, yeah. and uh, everyone trying to find their place and we allow those to find their places. So, for example, we don't just stick with mainstream education. We move into maybe high school type education um, and, you know, we try to start bringing some of the community people together to talk to the children. And, you know, I made special mention of the teenage boy, you know, that he is the one person in society who is particularly isolated. And, well, we all know what happens then, you know, that uh, there is a particular epidemic of within that age group of getting isolated from society, from family, from friends and where that leads to, you know, so there was a, there was a lot woven into the book and um, the, it, I guess the first part was a non-fiction uh, where, I did, where I did a lot of that, there's, there's 17 um, chapters, I actually have it here in front of me, so I'll just, you know, call out a couple of the chapters yeah, real sure. quick, you know, uh, what is a sustainable economy, what is sustainable education, the roles of men and women, uh, losing our youth, which I just alluded to, um, you know, democracy, healthy body and mind, healthy land, you know, going into things like geopathic stress and all of that area, um, you know, and then a, a kind of a, a philosophical discussion on things like, you know, our concept of security and all of that. So that was the first part of the book. But then the second half is actually a fictional tale of one of Ireland's commuter housing estates, um, uh, a place called uh, Ballynatter that's just made up. It's about 60 miles from Dublin, but mm -hmm. there's like 145 people living there or so. And, you know, they they were kind of left at the mercy of a developer and, you know, the, the housing estate is half unfinished, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, resonates with so many people. Absolutely, and familiar they're, story. They're, they're um, you know, driving vast distances to work, et cetera, et cetera. And then I just um, kind of spark off um, that, you know, actually... The main protagonist is kind of a 20-year-old guy who is on that path to being lost, but he kind of makes a connection with a, a retired man in the housing estate, and he kind of acts as a mentor to him, and they're, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go in life? And it suddenly ends up that his passion is actually the whole area of permaculture, and he goes and he works in that. And, you know, it might be a bit far-fetched in the sense that, you know, within a very short few years, they turn what they have, which is a dysfunctional housing estate, i.e. boxes where they they sleep in a box, they get out of the box in the morning, get into another box, which is the car, drive to another box, which is a factory, uh -huh. go into another box, which is a cubicle. It turns that into, you know, slowly over time, they're taking back their power, they're morphing, they're, they're finding that they can do these solutions on themselves. They reject their local council because they won't finish the estate for them. They reject the developer and, you know, they, they renamed their estate because it was um, Hill Valley Plains was the name of the estate. It's all coming back to me here now. I haven't read it for a year <laughs> or two, but uh, Hill Valley Plains, which is typical, um, you know, uh, Celtic tiger nonsense. And Absolutely. They don't, they, they don't go together, you know, three vastly different words. So they, they turn it into the name that, that it is, you know, they, because they look at the lie of the land and 
what is it? And, you know, uh, they, they rename it that and they have a renaming ceremony and they start educating the children in the community. They start fighting back, you know, well, we're not going to do nine to five. There's a, there's a woman in her 30s who refuses anymore to do this. And she, you know, just she's the one who makes that um, huge jump for, you know, I suppose, uh, women of that generation, you know, mid-30s, a couple of kids who really w- wish to work, yeah. uh, but don't wish to work uh, 40 to 60 hours a week, uh, you know, and commuting one or two hours either end of it. So she just flips that on the head and just goes right to the CEO of the company and says, I'm not doing this. I'm working at home. Most of my work is digital anyway. You know, I'll come in here one or two days a week. You know, that's it. You're giving it to me. There's no question of precedent, et cetera, et cetera. I'm taking it. I'm doing it. And she does it. And then, you know, that kicks off a chain reaction around the country. And then eventually the idea is that, you know, eventually we live in a world full of building cities of gold is the, is the, is the concept. But I wrote the book, I published the book and very quickly I realized that I, re- I did not address the monetary question and that's where we come into the video and the couple of years, uh, I suppose, journey since the book to getting to the point of getting this video put together and, you know, that's the book in a nutshell. It left a very, very, very big question mark. Uh, that question mark possibly should have prompted another book, but I didn't feel a book was the right medium. I wanted to start speaking to people. I didn't really have the, uh, I'm not really someone who would go out there and grab a microphone. So I kind of went maybe speaking to small groups of people. And then um, um, I met somebody who is an expert and I would like to mention to him at the end as well, an expert in putting together videos and stuff. And he just took my story and we worked together for a couple of weeks and uh, that is the video. So, but there was a big journey in coming from the end of the book to the video to even meeting that guy, which was the the journey around the monetary question. And, um, you know, we're all feel made to feel so, uh, I guess, stupid for even questioning it. And that basically, you know, how can we possibly sit in a media studio with a suited man, a suited middle-aged man who has all that smugness and confidence of 30 years in those industries? And I didn't want to go into those situations because they do have that smugness and that confidence. And, you know, while you may be right, uh, they have bluster on their side. And sometimes that does work, you know. And um, so I just kind of quietly went about sitting with the problem, I guess, Um, this is money, what is money, where does it come from, how is it coming and where is it going, you know, who is doing it, Uh, what does this mean, Uh, how does this tie into um, our people, our demographics, our population, etc, etc. So I guess that was the journey in 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 a high level. And a fascinating journey and no doubt in the early days, of course, Barry, it would have been a lonely place, I would imagine, because for anybody listening who may have been on a similar journey, and I can relate to a lot of what you've spoken about there personally, it's not always the uh, the most welcoming world that you face when you realise that things aren't necessarily what you were brought up or conditioned to believe. No, that's that's true. But, uh, you know, that would have been the first two or three years where you, you kind of try to tell people maybe what you would see in the world back in the late 90s and I quickly learned that that wasn't a good idea yeah now it's not a case of me repressing that um 
side of me by any means it just meant that it was a, a lonely place it was a you know a, a journey um but you know what it's not ultimately it's not because um more and more you know i've actually realized that actually i am a person you know i have a fantastic family i have three small kids um but you know what i actually am a person who really does crave solitude you know and, and that was a, a nice thing to come out of it that i do I, I do like to take off for a few hours in the mountains on my own walking and yeah you know that uh, so uh, you know what yes it, it is it can be a lonely place certainly to to kind of go on that journey and when you feel you can't speak to people about the things you see yes but in, in no way do i feel um uh, a victim by that or anything and not at all actually um now now especially for the reason that it's historical anyway and secondly um i'm just seeing people everywhere now everywhere i go people are just saying this is not right. This is not right. Uh, the world is not right. The the life, life as we know it is not right. So you know they're still possibly not ready to um, delve into why, but they do know it's not right. So then I know um, you know there is very very few people who had that bravado and swagger from six seven years ago where they thought yeah. they were invincible. Um, and you know there's tremendous humanity in every you know in 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 people i mean my 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 daily job would actually be um going to people's houses quite a lot and i've probably been in 1000 houses around county cork and city in the past few years and um i have to say there isn't one house that i was in and believe me i was in all social demographics there were, there wasn't one house that i was in same motif did not run through that family and that is that they simply wanted themselves their children and their extended family to be happy healthy and secure and that was it <laughs> nobody had any ultimately that was it now they might still be striving uh, you know and they, you might go well why are you work you striving so hard for you know giving up so much of your time mm. but they're doing that for security you know there's actually very very few people i i truly believe that there's very very few people who are really greedy for example um that they're ultimately they may be on a path where it may not may not be the best for them and you know that's not my place to say that but you know perhaps they would come to that realization themselves but in doing so i think it's for very good motives ultimately and those motives are you know security for my kids as they grow um i suppose as we if, if you watch my video it's probably quite a challenge to a lot of people because it's saying that i'm sorry folks uh there is no security in the system as it exists nor will there ever be and that is um a hard pill to swallow unfortunately but if we do swallow that pill we can very very quickly move to a society that does work um and you know I, I guess this is this is really my goal um all along as as we prepared this video and by the way i am just going to mention dan dan southgate who lives in kinsale he's he's got a um um he's a guy who was very successful in graphic design in new york he he was a partner in a company and he actually was i believe lead designer on many nike ads etc right uh, but he has come back to ireland actually for you know um, uh, i guess to work on it for himself as well you know to to ultimately i suppose get out of that rat race but um he has a graphic design uh, site there called uh, led a e a n i think lidian uh, dot com dan southgate but anyway myself and dan when 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 we were working on this video um for me the 
the goal always was um, that it would push people closer to the choice point. Um, and by that I mean uh, we're being told daily um, that um, austerity is something that is a good and noble thing because we are sacrificing um, temporary comforts for long-term security and that it will be a good thing if we, if we uh, do that. And, uh, you know, once again, we are, we are doing the noble path that our ancestors did, etc., etc. Now, hopefully through mathematics, I have proved, and not mathematics in a, in a difficult sense, but through simple looking at numbers, that that is actually hogwash. <laughs> and therefore, um, there is no good future on that path. So then if you, if, you, if you believe that, or if you see that video, for example, um, and you accept that, well, then you're left with two choice points. And those two choice points are, and, and this, is, this is what I wish we would all turn around to, to ourselves and to our families and our friends right now in this country, and by extension, the world, and say, okay, we're at the choice point. These people believe we are stupid. Uh, they believe we're incapable of governing ourselves. Uh, they believe we're not capable of running financial models. They believe we're not capable of, of um, acting morally, that we need 10,000 statute laws, etc., etc. Mm. Um, we know their austerity path is not going to work. So therefore, why go through a decade, a lost decade of depression, suicide, fear, anger, you know, to ultimately get to the point where we are going anyway, which is just sign everything over all public and private rights tomorrow <clears throat> let's just sign them over to the banking slash um super state slash uh, uh statute legal law system let's just hand absolutely everything over today tomorrow whenever if we need a month to make that decision let's just do it on mass <clears throat> as a society um and then ne negotiate terms and conditions after that because that is where we are going in a decade less than a decade and um, that's the thing and just just to backtrack a little bit barry because you you touched on i suppose the dilemma that so many people face be it consciously or subconsciously in making ends meet and so many people that we speak to on this show talk about the same thing and it's that daily struggle for security and the problem with that is it's such a distraction then for people to be able to see the bigger picture so that they don't necessarily see that in a decade's time or whatever length of time it may be, this is where we're headed because they're focusing yes. on literally the trees and not the wood or the bigger picture. And I suppose the big question for us is how, how, to, how, how to break free from it. And your book and your video, the beauty of them for me is that they actually go into practical solutions because so many people can identify the problem, but because of their daily life and their situation, be it mortgages or paying the bills or whatever it might be, they, they, they can't really embrace what it is they feel and they're trapped in this, I suppose, this headspace or this mentality when they should be following something else entirely. And your book and the video, they're one of the few things that manages to put things together in layman's terms, and it, it really is so accessible, everybody should watch the video from Tyranny to Freedom because it's so accessible, it makes perfect sense, and then spends so much time offering practical solutions, which, if people look at it, really will work. And um, I suppose th the key thing for us to talk about is about those solutions because we spend so much time identifying problems and not many people come up with solutions. I have to say I've been very, very impressed by those in the video. 
Good. Thanks for that. Now, just 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 before we move into that, if you don't mind, could I just could I just finish that that one point course, about yeah. the about the choice point because th- that is very very key to this. That you are one hundred percent correct. That people just are literally bet down is the term we use in Ireland. They are bet down um, and they are just getting up, going through another day, going through another day. They're hoping their state, they're hoping their banking model, they're hoping their legal system is going to uh, ultimately get sane and come together and we're going to grow our way out of this. That is not going to happen. So I really feel strongly about this choice point that Mm. we, why go through that last decade when we are getting to the point where they will take everything off us Let's have that choice point. And you see, what I, when, when, I, when I'm pushing that choice point on people, it's making it imminent. You have one month. No, obviously we don't have one month. But you have one month to decide whether you're handing everything over to this model and then negotiating for terms and conditions. You're rejecting this model because this model can be rejected. That is the choice point, folks, because this is what they're using. They're using our um, compliance and our um, trust, our blind trust in the fact that human nature is good. <laughs> you see, this is the point. I've been in 1,000 houses, yeah. and human nature is very, very good. We are a trusting species, and we do trust that these people are there for our good. Now, there are good people in this system, don't get me wrong, but the system is designed to take ownership of you and everything that you have. So force this choice point. Um, are you okay with that? If we all decide en masse that we're okay with that, well then maybe we should do it. Maybe we should hand everything over and negotiate for terms and conditions. It would be quite silly to do that, but maybe we should at least uh, spark that question um, or move into the solutions. Okay, so on to the solutions, Barry, because they are many and varied, and I'm a big believer in... Um there being infinite solutions for any one problem, as long as people actually understand what the problems are. And the video and the book really lay out what the problems are, and in in quite, a, I suppose, a sentient way, and it's very well put together and very simplistic. There's nobody who should be in any way, I suppose, intimidated by this knowledge, because it's very, very simple when it's laid out in layman's terms, as, you, as you've managed to do. And that, of course, then leads on to the solutions. So uh, let's talk about some of your solutions. Okay, and that's I'm glad you say my solutions because um, if you put 1,000 people in a room for a month and said uh, analyze the financial, uh, the legal, and the uh, state system, uh, you will get uh, 1,000 different ways in which it is wrong. So <laughs> I am not certainly not uh, the, the the expert on all of this. We all are the experts on it, and I have one particular slant that is my journey on it, um, and I suppose. Um, by watching the the video, you will see that uh, through number crunching, which is very simple, as you say, that basically I have tied it into population growth and population growth expansion rates that um, based on the way money is issued into society, it is actually pre-programmed to blow up and it blew up four years ago and uh, everything since is just, uh, you know, um, literally life support machine and... Um, um so i i suppose i was able to see that that the financial model as it as exists excuse me as it exists um is is dead so therefore what can we do so then it comes it becomes a question of well if the financial model is corrupt and um 
is is like this well then uh, why do we have to engage with this system and then you look that the state and the legal system uh, enforce this and you know that they're seizing property uh, for this system they're you know they're throwing people out of their houses and they're willing to hand up the infrastructure of countries like in Greece and even in this country with the potential sale of the ESB, that there is um, a mass collusion going on between the state, the banking system and the legal system to actually turn uh, a corrupt monetary system, which it is. I mean, if it was a casino, it would be shut down 100 years ago. Um, And um, to turn this uh, rubbish, and that's what it is, it is just rubbish, uh, this this monetary system, uh, rubbish is a very, very kind term for what it is, uh, to turn this monetary system into a means of extracting real physical assets from the people, their businesses, and from the land that they live on. Um, therefore, you say, well, if this is the case, uh, how come when we have a democracy and vote in political parties, etc., that they don't do anything to change this? And then you realize that literally they are just a changing of the board of directors of a corporation and the corporate model uh, was set out in possibly a hundred year plan and they're just um, steering it along and that they will never change it. Now, I do come back to the human beings within that model and say in many cases they don't, uh, they are good people who do not realize A, what the problem problem is and B, even if they do realize that they can't do anything to change it, and that it's far easier to just keep extracting, keep squeezing, keep keep taking what you is not possible to take um, to to um, save this model, and uh, eventually uh, a point is reached where the model will crash and everything is seized. Now, how do we reject it? Well, <clears throat> first of all, it has to be a consciousness awakening. It has to be a case that. Um, we first of all wake up to the problem. Now, everyone, you know, you you go into a room and there's 20 people in the room, you know, and 20 of them will have a different uh, villain. Uh, One is the public sector. uh, One is the private sector. You know, they have too many um, tax breaks. They can do their own taxes. You know, they can write off expenses, etc. You know, the other is, um, well, it's all the old people's fault. They, you know, they give up work too early. You know, it, uh, they're, they're looking for too much. They, you know, they, they're trying to hold on to their fuel allowance and we can't even put food on the table, you know, or, or it's the, <clears throat> it's the immigrants fault or, you know, it's, um, it's the kids fault. You know, they're, they're demanding too much nowadays. We're constantly pitted against each other um, in that. And that, that is the daily, the daily discourse that it's constant, and this is why I use the, the rats and the cat analogy. We're rats trapped in a barrel. And if you trap rats in a barrel, it's, a, it's an ugly, ugly scene and they all turn on each other. And um, we are um, turning on each other. We have for the last four or five years. Um, and that I find particularly dispiriting because, um, you know, <laughs> we're not looking at the real villain. We're not looking at the way we're controlled from outside the circle. And yeah. if we did, if we all just stopped for one day, and this is why it is a consciousness awakening, if we all stopped for just one day, stopped fighting and bickering and looked outside the circle, the system just falls. It just literally falls. And that sounds a bit, you know, uh, airy-fairy, but... For example, me personally, I have turned off the white noise of that system, of that system a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So I refuse to engage with that system. I still am engaged. I, I would say I still am engaged with the system in terms of you know paying taxes and all of that. Um, you know because even though I know we can all renounce that, um, 
And uh, I know in doing that, that doesn't make us anarchists, by the way. Um, the society as it is, is anarchy. It's the pure definition of anarchy. But um, I still am engaged with the system. But that system, that fear-based system, uh, that system of lack um, has absolutely no power over me because I don't engage with it. I've literally turned off the white noise. And that is a goal of mine in this video, that first of all, we all need to turn off the white noise. No more fear from them. They're, the world is infinitely abundant. Uh, we are all born sovereign. We are all eternal souls come here, you know, with this wonderful experience to live a human life on this earth. It's a totally, absolutely abundant world. And it should be one of joy, happiness and peace and security and love and all those good things. It is not but it could be very, very quickly if we turn off the white noise. And then if enough people turn off the white noise, it's like you're at a party and everyone looks into the corner and it's like, are you guys still there making that noise? <laughs> Jumping up and down? Oh yeah, we moved on a long time ago. So it's not necessarily a move to the streets because you know a move to the streets can be infiltrated and turn into a riot. And at that point, you know, the uh, the martial law is declared or the army sweeps in or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's literally a consciousness, first of all, Let's have that question of ourselves. Are we willing to hand over everything? I, I'm not. You know, I don't think anyone else is. Well, then we move into the solutions. Um, the, the, as soon as you move to the solutions page, the first thing that's presented to you, though, is how can we reject that system? You know, and that is the first thing is you consciously reject it because it has no uh, goodness in it. Um, there is no goodness in it. It completely violates everything that's goodness and i'd like just to refer um i got this from a website yesterday and you know when 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 we had arranged to uh, do this interview mm. i found this and i found it fascinating it's it's um you know uh i think everyone would agree that you know marriage done correctly is you know is a good thing it's a sacred thing it's it's something that's been done for forever basically and you know uh, in many cases obviously you know uh, it, it 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 begets the next generation and you know it, it it is a good thing i don't think anyone could say that marriage not you know is not a good thing but um, according to the legal system as it stands, uh, and they, you know, their Bible is often the Black's Law Dictionary, a, a, a license um, is described as permission by competent authority to do an act which without such permission would be illegal. Now, illegal is their term for their legal system. Yeah. However, yeah. people have been getting married for however long people have been on the earth. So uh, it's, it's, it's a natural law. It's a lawful thing to do to get married. So basically what it's saying is if you wish to do certain acts, you're committing an offense, i.e. you're a criminal. If you do not get a license, which is permission from competent authority, which is the government, before you engage in those acts. None of us wish to be criminals or break the law, so we blindly presume and assume that we must obtain a license. So basically they're criminalizing marriage they're saying because it's illegal if you do not have one of their licenses to do it. So how can marriage, which begets the next generation of people in many cases, I'm not saying obviously in all cases, but it's something that two people, you know, um, fall in love, get together, uh, try to forge a life together, uh, bring another generation into the world that perpetuates this wonderful experiment that is humanity, something that is so natural and in tune with the earth, with the universe, with everything that is good, be termed illegal 
And that just proves how false the legal system actually is, that it is completely arbitrary. It is a corporation, and in all cases, um, all states, you see, we, we, we forget that all states in our world are, are very, very modern entities. Uh, you know, there is none possibly older than, than you know, 200 years. I mean, it's uh, so the state of Ireland um, tells me that if I don't have one of their licenses, I cannot be married, and in fact, it's illegal to be but yet the land of Ireland, this beautiful sacred land that's been here forever and that has spawned so much of goodness and creativity in this world has had people marrying for how many thousands of years? So that is that, that shows the uh, utter nonsense that the statute system is, the statute legal system and the rules of the state. And we quickly start to realize that all of this is just a corporation, that we, when we continually vote in politicians, they are literally just... Um, uh, what would you say, executives of a corporation. Exactly. And the, the longer we vote them in, the longer that perpetuates and nothing can happen. And, you know, going back to the financial models, um, you know, it's like, well, this, this particular organization said that if they went in, they would cut taxes. No, they haven't. They haven't because they can't because the system is designed that they're just a corporate entity. They have to squeeze the people for all the resources that they have because that is the way the system is designed and the monetary system is designed in such a way that taxation can only go one way inflation or prices can only go one way which is up and um, you just have to keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing which is the rats in this barrel analogy that the fattest rat is the state uh, the private sector self-employed which is <laughs> which is me yeah. uh, are, are, are the rats on the edge and um, as you go in along the layers you're, you're reaching the more and more secure parts of that society and then, you know, there are many, many people out there who would feel very safe, you know, may, let's just say millionaires or even very well-paid executives in the uh, in the mm -hmm. public sector, you know, and um, I'm not now talking about the the mid-level, you know, uh, guards or nurses or anything that in the public sector. I'm talking about the very well-paid executives within the public sector and let's just say the very wealthy people within the private sector. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure a lot of them just wish all this noise of depression and recession, et cetera, would go away because, you know, they probably feel guilty for, you know, being in the position they're in and they don't, they can't go on holidays because their neighbors, will, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure they would just wish it would all go away and that, you know, everyone went back to kind of being happy and, you know, let's, let's just get, get on with it. But, you know, they are not safe because as those outer layers of the rats in a circle uh, start getting picked off, like, as we said, the private sector self-employed and then the, you know, the companies in the private sector and then the, you know, et cetera, the, the, the um, fuel allowance from old people and, you know, the um, job seekers allowance goes because you haven't done X, Y and Z conditions that are more and more difficult to fulfill, yeah. that eventually, eventually the, the rat will get in there and that millionaire will suddenly find a 95% wealth tax slap, slapped on him and he can do nothing. That is it. He can do nothing. They can do that because the state is a corporation and he is accepting the terms and conditions of the corporation and as long as he does that... They can do what they want. And there is one particular journalist, and, and I'm sticking with the vein of not using any names because okay. for, the, for the sole reason that um, um, I firmly believe we cannot 
it is time to stop looking at other people. You know, uh, you know, we look within ourselves and then we look up at who is controlling us. But, you know, uh, there is one particular journalist who was particularly vehement against uh, a legal case going on at the moment and telling telling me by by virtue of the fact that I read his article that I should hate a particular individual. Mm-hmm. Now. I just kind of thought to myself afterwards, and of course I did write a letter back which wasn't published, but but anyway, I, I said, what is that man's breaking point? You know, he is so strongly defending the system as it exists, and I, and I, went, I was really intrigued to know what his breaking point is. And I said, like, is it when his uh, probably relatively modest house in, in, in uh, wherever he lives has a 10,000 a year property tax? Is that his breaking point? Is it when... Uh, the state uh, puts 90% income tax on him. Uh, is it when, uh, because he hasn't paid his taxes, the state take his kids into care because he hasn't paid his taxes? Mm. And that sounds crazy, but look. Well, it, it does that, sound crazy, Barry. They can do but, that. But you look, you look down through history and so many things that people thought at the time sounded crazy turned out to actually happen. And it's, I, I suppose it's one of the lessons that we can learn from history is that no matter how crazy something seems, Quite often, it's what comes to pass, and particularly if there is form in the past. And when you're talking about a corporation or a state, as you are, it's not a person. So it doesn't think in the way that we think. So we think that's crazy, of course, because it, it, it totally flies in the face of everything as human beings that we believe in and we feel. However, a corporation doesn't feel or think the way we think. It's an entity, it's a machine, and it doesn't have emotion. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's that's it exactly, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, that is a reality that, okay, you know, you can have your children back when you pay us taxes. Why not? I mean, uh, they, well, look, we, they, they <laughs> you know, they, they, as long as we comply by the rules of the state, which is when you're born, you get a birth certificate, you literally can't leave the hospital i mean we have a seven month old uh the third ch- our third child and you know so that's quite recent for me that you, you literally cannot leave the hospital until he gets his um name in full capitals and and i don't know i i my video was initially an hour but I, it's very difficult to get someone to watch something for an hour so so there was a lot of uh, finer detail cut down uh, from it and um uh, I couldn't go into the whole area of that capitalized name, but it actually is a, a Roman term, and it means uh, it's it's called capitis diminutia maxima, and it basically means I th- because there are other forms of capitis diminutia. I think minima is another one, and there's a, a media as well, maybe in the middle. And basically, capitis diminutia maxima means you have been assigned assigned maximum slavehood, that you were the ultimate slave. Um, so your child, as they leave the hospital, is no longer a human being in the state's mind. They are actually um, a slave, a future slave. And that is, you, you willingly, because you need the money, take the children's allowance. But I mean, that, of course, is the trap to to make sure that he does become that future slave. And he is actually owned by the corporation at that point. Now, you cannot own a flesh and blood person. Um, a corporation is just that, is a corporation. Uh, no parent would willingly uh, hand their child over to a corporation. But unfortunately, that is what happens when they get this birth certificate, which enables the child benefit, which enables the future taxpayer, etc., etc., which now makes you liable for every and all uh, rules of the state. And as I say, as the monetary model squeezes, the state can then implement whatever it is they wish on that person. Mm-hmm. 
But of course they can't if that person wakes up to the fact that uh, there is this uh, ghost version of themselves called their corporate identity and that their corporate identity is literally dragging them over a cliff. But all it takes is you're shackled to this corporate version of yourself. You're on the edge of the cliffs of Moher, if we could just imagine that. And this guy's got, um, there's manacles on you and between on, on your wrists and he's, he's falling over the edge. And, and down there, there's sharks and there's servitude and there's penury and there's lack and there's stagnation and there's suicide and there's depression, you know, but to the left in the fields of County Clare, there's abundance, there's security, there's humanity, there's love, there's peace, there's happiness, there's everything good. And there's the flesh and blood person standing there. And this is the choice point. Do we let this corporate version of us pull us over or do we take the axe from the ground and set him free and that is literally that is the that is what i'm trying to get to people into i'm trying to force people into the choice point and you for know. for anybody who might um like to look into that in a little bit more depth or who are shouting at the radios thinking what are you talking about two people that makes no sense there's a very a very good five minute video on youtube by a crowd called informatic films called meet your straw man which of course is another layman's term for the corporate identity or the legal fiction you're talking about so i'd highly recommend that to anybody yeah, I mean, um, you know, we, we spoke at the start of this interview about um, the journey and, you know, uh, for me, I suppose 15 years now kind of questioning myself, society, my role in it, why am I here, what, what is the purpose of it all. Yeah. And, you know, I had said for the first 10 years, that's very much an internal journey. And I think many people would agree that, but a lot of those people in the last four or five years have started to externalize, uh, externalize that and trying to... F- integrated into society and um like five years ago i would have said you were mad you know yeah three three years ago when i wrote my book i would have said you were mad with all that stuff i i i just didn't get it it it, it was a staged process that you know eventually you know i knew the monetary system was corrupt and i knew the state i just thought the state was incompetent i didn't think it was actually corrupt yeah and I think most people would think that. I, I think they would think, no, those guys are just, you know, they've never worked in a real job. You know, they're just, all they do is go to committee meetings, you know, that they don't know what it is to, to, to run a successful business or, you know, work, do a decent day's work on a, on a building site or whatever, you know, that, but no, it, it is actually, the system is designed, it is corrupt. It is designed in such a way that there is a collusion between that system, between the legal system and between the monetary system to take ownership of you and you know um that is a hard pill to swallow and and like that's why i do i am very conscious of the fact that um like i would be considered a very sane person and a very i guess conservative person in many ways that you know um <laughs> i barely drink don't smoke you know i mean uh married with three children and you know very very conventional looking person you know and and very when i do my my nine to well i I call it nine to five work when i do the work that brings in income very professional and competent in doing that and people wouldn't know anything uh you know that i would have these uh beliefs or, or or visions but for the for a better future but um i really do sympathize with somebody who has given their life their career to working in this system you know, and I'm thinking especially here of, you know, maybe a retired public sector worker, you know, maybe a retired guard or teacher or, um, you know, and uh, they're they're dependent now on, the, on, a, on a good pension from the state. 
and they may be very very resistant to that state model changing because they're afraid their money will stop coming and if I could give any uh, reassurance it would be don't be afraid of that because once this systemic inflation is gone once this obsessive or uh, tyrannical uh, pursuit of your property and money goes that actually a things will cost far less and b uh, when we start building the infrastructure that actually provides a lot of these things uh, you're going to find yourself much more secure than you ever would with a with a pension from the state but i really really do sympathize for somebody who i'm I feel very privileged to only be 38 and, and that we're at this juncture. I would really be disillusioned if I was um, 68 or 78, having given a, a whole life and belief system to this. And I really do I really do sympathize with those people on how they can take in this information. Um, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> well, you uh, see, I, I think it's down to the individual with that. And it's just my personal opinion. But um, as somebody who came across a lot of this information quite early and was open to it at an early stage, I've often thought the same thing because I would see the struggle maybe when I, when I debate this with members of my family or extended family or friends or people who are a little bit older than me. And they seem qu a lot more resistant than, say, my, my peer group or people who are slightly younger than me. And I think that's purely down to the level of conditioning. And that's not, I mean, that's not to demean anybody, but we are in a society that conditions us to think in a certain way. And it's a big move to kind of break free of the, those chains of conformity. And it's, I would imagine, more and more difficult as time goes on for people. But I do think that the information is so empowering that whether somebody is 16 or 60, it is possible to embrace knowledge and to actually work for a better future for everybody because I think something like this can have a snowball effect and if there are tangible results from a proposed solution and that they become obvious to people there's nobody going to be left behind who will want the original system because it will be yeah, shown yeah, up as being correct, so flawed yeah. as time goes on people will just reject it in my opinion yeah no you're you're correct and and when I say that I I suppose I'm talking about the initial shockwave yeah. that hits society when they realize the extent of the control and manipulation that is not just this generation but is multi-generational and I suppose the repressed and suppressed history that then has to come out as a part of that that there will be an initial shockwave and it is the same fear of of I suppose we, we actually haven't spoken about the, the, the physical things that can happen as solutions, but maybe it's better if people just watch the video because we're, we're kind of having a discussion more so about the, you know, the, I suppose, the philosophical notion of change, of this yeah. change. But, but if, um, you know, uh, people would be terrified to go through the change, which is the fall of that system and the introduction of the new and and that is where we have to come together in the sense that there may be shortfalls, there may be a situation where, you know, the the infrastructure falls down here and there. But you know what, we're not going to uh, we're not going to um, perish in that, you know, and, and certainly a, a lot of older people uh, would possibly be very, very, even though they know this system is, is not in their favor. They're just terrified of the notion of even having one week where they where there is a shortfall in their usual um routines and 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 uh, um, I suppose incomes etc cetera, etc cetera. um but unfortunately the alternative is far worse and in, in cases like that I suppose I would I would I would kind of 
ask them to think of their grandchildren, you know, the, the yeah. retired public sector person who does not want this change, is, refuses to go through it, uh, is fighting it, will, will really, really find it difficult to even begin to look at this information. I would say, okay, that is fine. I understand that. And I completely 100% sympathize with you because, you know what, I probably would be in the same position if I was at your stage in life. But do you really wish your grandchild to continue living in this system now that you know this information because you're fine, you're at the end of your life, but they're only starting their life. And literally within 10 years, they are going to be negotiating for terms and conditions. And I wouldn't fancy negotiating with these people for terms and conditions. Well, no, because to go back to your rat in a barrel analogy, there is, of course, as is not nicely shown in the video, there's the elephant in the room and that's the cat sitting outside mm. that barrel waiting for the final fat rat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that is the control system. It's a, it's a, it's, I suppose in the video, it's just particularly about central banking, the banking model itself. But I guess really that, that cat can, can be, you know, uh, the holy, the unholy trinity of uh, the corporate state model, the legal system within the corporate state model and the banking system. Um, and, um, you know, uh, they are a, an unholy trinity that is controlling society. And the irony, the, the irony, the irony, the irony, I mean, there's so much irony. You know, the, <laughs> the fat rat of the state thinks that, you know, they, they can eventually sort everything out and they're, you know, the state itself will be consumed. And then you say to yourself, well, those guys outside the bar who are actually doing this, they, that unholy trinity, you know, why? Because eventually the whole thing is just going to crash and there's a completely Gotham City reality. And what is the benefit of that for anybody? You know, I mean, um, <laughs> it just makes no sense. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a pursuit for, for consumption of everything good. But what then? You know, I mean, um, whereas, you know, the society model that the likes, uh, which per you know, me as one person, and, and I certainly don't have uh, even believe that the ideas I put forward are, are probably a tiny, tiny percentage of the, of the other ideas that would come to fruition from people, you know, um, things like a barter economy that would work, you know, a, a giving, uh, releasing free energy technology for the masses and making a part of a compensation package, building local permaculture models. In fact, I have another piece of information here just as I do that. There's a guy called Will Allen in Growing Power, Wisconsin, and he can produce 450 tons of food in three acres per year. Um, he uses three to 500 yards of warm compost. Uh, util utilizes vertical space for growing uh, three acres of land and greenhouses. He uses just one simple aquaponic pump. Food is grown all year by using heat from the compost piles. And he's making $200,000 per acre. So three acres of land can give us 450 tons of food. You know, another study I read that, you know, the, the roof space in New York alone can feed 15 million people. Now, 15 million people must be the population of New York. So the roof spaces of the buildings in New York can feed the population of New York. So then you realize this utter nonsense that we're listening to about uh, we can't sustain the world's population is exactly that. It is just utter nonsense. Um, we make currently, we produce currently ten, food for 10 billion people. There's only 7 billion of us, and yet 1 billion are hungry. Yeah. So then you see that it's not, the, it's not the earth that cannot provide. It is the monetary model that cannot provide. 
And I would I would go back one one further thing uh, in the video. I I, I talk about a couple, uh, John and Jane, and they take out a mortgage, and it's for two hundred and fifty thousand, and and you know uh, over the thirty year life of that mortgage, it um it becomes uh, 500,000 and and you know uh, as you watch the video you realize that that interest that they have to pay doesn't exist in society and I say they have to work extra hard to try and obtain it now that may be confusing for people because I've just said it doesn't exist so they have to work extra hard to try and obtain it mean well if it doesn't exist how do they obtain it by that I mean that they're lucky they're educated they're both in you know corporate jobs let's just say and um, they their education and their qualifications and the job they have ensures that they're paid a, a healthy remuneration between them and that remuneration contains the interest that they have to pay back. But because the interest that they owe doesn't exist, they're actually taking money out of circulation that those who aren't as well uh, served as them, i.e. through education and having a good job, etc., can't uh, um, find them or they're taking that money that those people would use. And then you quickly step down the ladder and you see that that is actually what creates the strict tiered hierarchical society that we have. Mm. That it's, you know, and this is the strive then on education. This is why we push our ch children to be so bloody educated and 600 points in university and career. And, and it's just a never ending circle that you hope that they end up somewhere high enough on the food chain that they can source the interest to pay their debts. But as they do it, they're creating the layers underneath them when you come right down to the fact then that in Africa, the people can't eat food. So we're producing food for 10 billion people. There's 7 billion on the planet, 1 billion of which are going hungry. And you realize that by us, I, I guess, let's call ourselves middle-class people because we live in the Western world, um, that middle-class people in the Western world, as they service the debt, unfortunately, we're actually causing starvation elsewhere in the world. Yeah, And this is the kind of horror story that we have to face up to and then when you say that well then you say, well then you say do i have any more choice anymore but but to reject the model you know i'm now getting to the point where i'm actually when when you tell people this information and they f see this information you know is it now morally okay to continue um to actually be part of this model uh now the irony and for me and all that is I still haven't rejected this model because I'm firmly of the belief that um, uh, I do not uh, I want us all to do it or I don't want us or I want I either want us to not do it on mass or I want us to do it on mass um, uh, my goal is to give the information to make this choice and this is the point we're all at the, I want I want us to realize that we're all at the cliffs of Moher we're all manacled to this guy. They're pulling us over the edge. We can set them free in one swift motion. And then let's get busy. All those sane, honest, decent people, of which it's 99.99999% of us, yeah. can, get, can get to work at building a society that works. And you know what? All those people who are working in the existing system, like the politicians, etc., who are good people, and there are many, can come and work in that new system. Why not? You know, I'm sure they have skills that we can use, but those who are actively working within that system to bring us down, unfortunately, no, you're not. You're not welcome to the party. And in fact, that is where we have to uh, um, realize that uh, the new legal system, which would be a common law system, would have to deal with with those who wished 
who, who actively pursued this model. But there's no point in us, uh, and that's why I've refused to name any names or organizations or government parties or, you know, um, <clears throat> uh, it's wasted energy. It's rats fighting each other within the circle. Uh, and that's that's how you lose. The more you fight, the more you blame this politician, that politician, this company, that sector of society, the more you lose, the more you lose, the more you lose, the more they win, that, they being those who are running the game. So uh, there will be plenty of time for a proper legal system to address the crimes of those who knew what they were doing and actively pursued that. And there are many, many, many thousands, tens of thousands of innocent people uh, working within that system who are just trying to get by as well, you know, so... Um, well, I agree with everything you've said, Barry, and I think um, one, one of the first steps for me, and it was an empowering one, and one that caused consternation within, uh, <laughs> I suppose, within my family. I come from um, a very political family who are very active at high-level politics in Ireland, and it was a path that I had considered through school and college and that kind of thing that I would eventually go down. However, I made the conscious decision a number of years ago to deregister and not to vote anymore. And this is as somebody who thought that it should be mandatory to vote and that it was everybody's civic duty and responsibility to do so. And the reason I decided not to vote, and I know there are probably people thinking, what kind of a nutcase are you? Of course we have to vote, it's your duty. However, you talked about the distraction of politics and the infighting and this, that and the other. And that's all it is. I mean, as, lo as, long, as, we, as long as we vote... We're validating a system that personally I don't believe in and that I have rejected. So it would be hypocritical of me to do that. And for those that say, well, if you don't vote, you've no right to give out about the system that exists. I would say it's actually the opposite, because if you're validating a system, well, then don't complain about it. Whereas if you choose to actively step outside that system, well, then, of course, as long as you're offering solutions and you're, I suppose, doing something about it yourself, well, then, of course, you have the right to, to rail against it, in a sense. Absolutely. And it, it's so funny, you know, um, we all uh, we all realize things at various stages. And would you believe what you've just said? I realized yesterday, just yesterday. And it was from speaking to a friend of mine, uh, Tom Ryan in Dublin. And he really? said that exact thing. What you've just said to me, he said it. Now, I was completely the opposite. I came from not from a very political family, and then through my 20s, I didn't vote. And then uh, when I moved to Cork six years ago, I started voting thinking that it was the right thing to do, exactly mm. as you just said, that yeah. it's the right thing to do, you know, and, you know, I can't complain if I... And then you, just what you've said, my, my friend Tom said it to me yesterday, and I went, oh my God, that's so right. Wow. That, you know, um, yeah, like... Um, I consciously, I, I suppose energetically, uh, have rejected that system and therefore the fear and the, um, the the false bluster and bravado and just the jumping up and down and screaming like a child tantrum that that, that system perpetrates on the people, mm -hmm. I, I have disengaged from it. Um, but like, for example, I would have still voted in the upcoming referendum and now I won't. I, I choose not to. And for that very reason that, yeah, it is. But I suppose I suppose we all come at it from different angles. And, and I suppose um, my goal was to, 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 to let people see the system as it stands and then to, you know, I suppose even I have rejected the system energetically. Therefore, it had no power over me, and it was just easy to keep, um, you know, like keep paying my taxes, etc. Because yeah. I don't want to bring the grief on me that that screaming child would uh, 
try and you know intimidate with me with court cases etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i didn't want to go through that grief on my own individually as i was trying to get this information out because it would be too much of a distraction now that this information is out and other people to i want us to make this decision are we falling off the cliffs or are we going to change it are we going to um uh, reject their system and bring in a system that works and <laughs> Like there's probably one or two percent of people. I think I said this to you yesterday. Who who see through the veil and see uh, that it's all BS. And then there are those thirty percent on the other end. And and I think I mentioned some of them. Like you know, uh, and I completely understand where they're coming from. Like the public sector um, retiree, etc., who's very very worried about their pension, etc. And you know, they will not change until the change is forced upon them, unfortunately. Um, but then there is the 70% in the middle, those who are utterly desperate and feel that, like, how long can they sustain this? How long can they? And I'm not even talking financially here. You know, financially is just one part of it, but just in the way that the system dehumanizes them and you know, <clears throat> uh, just treats them like little kids and, you know, how long can they put up with all this? Um, but there is no alternative, you know, that it's that 70% of people who are going to make the change. You know, I've been 15 years questioning it. I don't know how long your particular journey has been, but there are there are a lot of people who have been on this journey for that long. We are not going to affect the change. Uh, we, I, I think we are bringing information to people from that 15-year journey it's that middle core of people. It's that middle Ireland, let's call them, and the middle France and the middle Belgium and the middle America. They are the ones who are going to get us to the critical mass. And that is why I wanted this visual video to, to go to these people to, to force them to that choice point of, you know what, the longer I keep on the, on the treadmill, the more these rules and regulations are going to completely dehumanize me strip everything of value for me. I mean, according to them, um, they are basically turning one of the most sacred things, which is marriage, into into a dirty act because you it is a dirty act if you don't have one of their licenses. How can they say that? Um, you know, and this is the irony, like I've another I found another piece of information about a guy called uh, Jeffrey Thomas Mayer, M A M-A-E-H-R mm -hmm. and he has spent 10 years researching uh, tax laws in America and you see because the statute legal system is a copy of natural or good law it goes it makes sense that those who wrote those laws would make human mistakes in making those statute laws yeah so they haven't covered all their bases and that is the irony that, like, for example, he uh, is now on his 10th court case. And, of course, they keep throwing them out because they know he's right. But under their, again, referring to Black's Law Dictionary, uh, he has proven that income tax is not actually allowed to be levied because income tax, according to Black's Law Dictionary, and remember now this is the human error that what an agent of state at some point made in transcribing natural or man-made laws into corporate laws. He calls it a tax on the yearly profits arising from property, professions, trades, and offices. Now, straight away, you would go, well, okay, professions, yeah, I have to pay a tax on my profession. But Mr. Mayor, 
Jeffrey Thomas Mayer argues that wages are not profits, they are simply the result of an exchange of labour for money. Pointing out that businesses routinely pay taxes on profits, he notes taxes are not expensed on the expenses of the business, and simply the labour of an individual is the expense required to obtain the money, so it's not profit. To determine otherwise would be to subject corporations such as Walmart to income taxes uh, on 100% of their cash register receipts, he argues. And then he has four cases that back up exactly what he says, four historical uh, statute law cases where judges at various points in 1946, 1969, 1883 um, agreed exactly with what he said. And, and, and I'll just call one of them out. 1946 case says, reasonable compensation for labor or services this is the point. When you try and make a copy of law that is natural, in balance, that keeps man in check with himself, keeps man in check with his fellow man, keeps man in check with the earth, um, which common law does, and it doesn't lead to anarchy when we reject statute law, by the way. It actually does the exact opposite. Yeah. But when you try to make a copy of something natural as a human, you make a, a hymns of it, you make a hash of it. And as they wrote Black's Law Dictionary, they made a hash of it. You know, they can't, you can't, um, the human error, the arrogance, whatever comes out in it, that they didn't even define income tax correctly, that um, we, we, sh we don't have to pay income tax. Now, according to them, then they only tax that you can, they only tax they're liable to uh, levy on people is actually income tax from profits, which is only money that rises in value in a bank account or if you sell, a, a, realize a profit through a sale of an asset. So capital gains tax, therefore, is the only tax that can be levied. No income tax can be levied. So, you know, I mean, this is the sort of stuff that, you know, even if even if we were to continue on their rules, people are finding more and more uh, ways that their system is totally incompetent. Um, so there is, you know, uh, and, and the irony I find is the politician who says, you know, on the radio station, uh, you know, um, people are not paying their property taxes. Do they not realize it is the law of the land and that... <laughs> Yeah. In in for my for my situation, when he say when he or she says that, it is actually ignorance that they do not even know what they're saying because the law of the land, Ireland, the state is not the land. Ireland, the land has been here forever. The state has been here less than one hundred years, so it is not the law of the land. And um, but then I get back to the question, and it's funny that you mentioned you you come from a political family, you know, and and I wouldn't cast any aspersions on those people in your family, but mm -hmm. but the political circuit starts at a very young age and I'm sure you would agree that if you were to go down that route it starts as a teenager if you come from a political family. And Absolutely, you go to the, I can remember canvassing on the doorsteps yeah, age yeah, yeah. 11 and 12, you know. Yeah, yeah, there you go and so you start at that age and you go to the weekly meetings and you go to the, you know, the X party meeting and the Y party meeting and you, you know, you, you, you earn your stripes and you come up through the ranks and then, you know, eventually you might be elected as a local politician and then, you know, keep going to these meetings, keep keep on the circuit, keep on going, and eventually you might get to the holy grail of a ministerial role. Now, <clears throat> where is the time in that journey? Because all that journey is, is about uh, getting recognition for who you are to get you elected into. Where is the uh, time and the space for uh, uh, reflection on what your beliefs are? There is none. Mm. It's just one constant treadmill. So even our politicians, they just... 
it is it is uh, there is no there is no uh, place where it's built in that they reflect on the decisions that they're going to make in the future um i've spent 15 years thinking about things that doesn't make me special in any way i'm not saying that but it it's got me to the point where i'm able to have this conversation with you and it's 15 years of solitude to get to that point yeah um you know uh, if you compare the politician of the same age he's been 15 years listening to you know that noise you know so where exactly. is where where has he grown to make decisions about uh, you know uh, um where 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 will he find the empathy to make decisions about cutting you know um um uh, respite hours for you know um handicapped children or you know how there is no time for, there is no space for reflection therefore he he or she um you know i don't think can do the job that they're supposed to be doing <laughs> well i agree and not only that they're prevented from doing so even if they wish to do so and the party whip system which exists here in ireland which is mirrored in um, political systems all over the world basically whereby people have to toe the party line when it comes to a vote so that uh, that ensures that people don't vote depending when it comes to a parliamentary vote they don't vote depending on what it is that they believe themselves they vote depending on what the party tells them to do which keeps yeah. governments in power and makes sure that all these statutes and acts and uh, laws as people sometimes are usually call them actually do pass and that in itself says so much about the political system and what's wrong with it. Absolutely. I mean, how like how do we think it's okay that uh, the person who you know is supposed to represent us and three or four of them per constituency is not allowed uh, use his voice? That means we're not allowed to use our voice. Exactly. That's what they're saying. If he can't use his voice and, and say, you know, and at what point was it decided that um, a party losing a vote in the doll meant a general election in, you know, straight away? I mean, <laughs> it's just insane. The whole thing is insane. Um, you know, if it was a true democracy in that sense, um, it would be 166 individuals uh, working for the betterment of us all. And, you know, I suppose just maybe to to kind of clarify that, you know, in moving to these new systems, and we, we haven't kind of got onto them, and that's fine with me that, you know, uh, um, you know, people would say, well, does that mean, maybe after watching the videos, does that mean there is no more state? And that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that state has to finally serve the people. Therefore, after we build in these infrastructure upgrades and, and, you know, apply common law justice to those who were actively doing this and, you know, reverse the asset uh, stealing that's been going on for centuries, et cetera, et cetera, that there is, of course, a state after that because we do need international relations, et cetera. But the community rises in power, you know, and the community decides so much of what happens for that community. You know, we have democracy in our own lives first and foremost, and we have democracy within our families, and then we have democracy in our communities. And if you have democracy in your communities, of course, you still have arguments and you still have personalities and egos, et cetera, et cetera, but mm -hmm. you have democracy. So people are competent to run their lives and they can do so much at a local level. But then the state automatically falls and the statute law system falls. But we still, of course, need a state. We still need people who manage in, uh, national affairs and international affairs. And I, there was a chapter on my book to let, that dealt with this specifically, you know, that we we have a delegation of people who would be our, 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 our chamber, let's say, you know, and that delegation of people deals with delegations from other countries. And 
ultimately what it is is a delegation that comes up with 20-year and 50-year and 100-year plans for humanity. I mean, who would have thought such a crazy thing like, you know, <laughs> what, you know what is humanity's goal for the next 20 years? Yeah. That is true democracy nation to nation. It's not... Um, you know, how can we screw your country and, you know, how can we screw that country? And, you know, it is pure democracy, the voices of the people of the world coming together through chambers. But those chambers are literally dealing with the very high end stuff of nation to nation compliance or nation to nation relations, worldwide growth, worldwide um, security, worldwide peace, etc. And uh, the people in their communities are running their communities because they are able to do it. And that's what it should be all be about really I mean a, a holistic approach such as that is in keeping and in tune and in harmony with humanity itself yeah yeah well Barry I must say I, I really am very impressed by the video I think it's essential viewing for anybody you'll find it very easily on YouTube From Tyranny to Freedom it's called we'll also put the link up on the website the book is Building Cities of Gold what's next for you Barry Fitzgerald um, I, I have no idea Um I have absolutely no idea. I I um I believe we are on the brink of a fantastic future. Um I don't believe we're going to go over that cliff. Um if I could say anything to anyone, especially anyone who is in serious despair or um even having suicidal thoughts or whatever because of this system because of the way they are being beaten down mm-hmm. is to just reach out to other people you know, grab a lifeline, do not feel this on your own because we are very, very close to this whole system falling. And really it is it is the middle section of people who are going to do it. And okay, you ask me what's for my future? I'm going to be busy because I'm going to be part of, I'm going to be along with the rest of us. Sane, honest, decent people are going to be rebuilding the world. So we're, we're, going, we're all going to be busy, John. I just don't know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> well, the future is bright. I have the power. You have the power. We have the power. Barry Fitzgerald, it's been great speaking to you today. Thanks for joining me on Alchemy Radio. No problem, John. It was a pleasure. Alchemy Radio. Alchemy Radio. Forget the sun in his jealous sky as we walk in fields of gold. So she took her love for to gaze a while upon the fields of Bali. In his arms she fell as her hair came down. Among the fields of gold Will you stay with me? Will you be my love? Among the fields of body We'll forget the sun In his jealous sky As we lie in fields of gold Like a lover's soul Upon the fields of Bali Feel her 
Walked in 